This is how it's going to start. Yeah. Oh, it's loud, baby. It's loud, it's loud, it's loud, it's loud. It's super loud. It's how we do it. The intro's hotter than the rest of the podcast. Sorry about that. It's a little loud. It's okay. I'll, I'll, trim, I'll trim the levels down. Goodness great gracious, welcome to the, the meat, meat of the, of the podcast. podcast. Actually, this is not the meat, this is the pre-meat. This is like the bread. This is sort of like the uh, the uh, the heel. This is the loafy, the loafy heel bread of the podcast. This is it. This is Live to Tap, also known as Live to Tape, also known as Jimmy Jackson's Pepper House Surprise, also known as uh, Peter Parler's <laughs> pack, uh, Packed Out, packed out uh, Premonition Podcast, where we make Premonitions about things that never come to be true because they're in cold storage, so we can't know. Uh, this is also the executive buffet. Most importantly, most importantly, this is executive buffet. It's a buffet available only to executives. There's tongs, there's silver chafing dishes, there's vinyl booths that will cause you to sweat if all because you know everybody goes for the cloth first. If you choose the vinyl over cloth, I don't know what's going on with you. How do you do that? How do you choose vinyl over cloth? Because the cloth is breathable. It feels like more human. Vinyls, that's, that stuff's nasty. Vinyl? Even not, if it could be nylon, it could be. It could be nylon. I don't, it could be nylon. I don't know what it is exactly, but I would you not, would not want to be doing a choose of a, of a nylon or a vinyl over a nice, beautiful cloth. A beautiful cloth. Hey, this is the Executive Buffet. This is Daddy's Big Red Truck. It's always in season with all-terrain, all-season tires that are ready to rip up the neighbor who you don't like's backyard when they're on vacation. And they come home just in time to see, like, wow, something happened here, but happened, like, two weeks ago. So that's why you always got to rip up the yard right when they leave. The day, as soon as you know they're on the plane, that's when you rip up the yard. So when they get back, it's like, wow, this happened a long time ago. And so... You have time to figure out your story and time to kind of like just get distance from the from the mayhem you've created in a in a, a person's yard. Not that you do it to your neighbors. Pick someone far away. Maybe like your old neighbors. Maybe the athletic director of your high school. Something like that. Not that I ever did that or anything like that. Uh, welcome to the podcast. This is a great, fun, super special, slappy dappy, good, great. Uh, we're just gonna we're in the grind here. The sand has been applied to the plate. And we're grading, we're doing a grit grind to create a smooth polish that's presented to you here right, right now. now. If you're sitting down, that's awesome. If you're sitting down and you're traveling, like you're moving forward or, you know, whatever direction the vehicle is you're traveling in right now, that's great too. If you're in a living room with your parents and they hate you and you've got big old speakers and you want to sort of rekindle that, that enmity, I think enmity is, by the way, is an, an underused, underused word, enmity. 
Try spelling that fast. Imnity. It almost sounds like a lot of other words, but if you want to rekindle the imnity with your uh, freaky psycho parents, go ahead. Put this on the big klipsch. Put this on the big klipsch in the living room while they're trying to do their their const, near constant state of rest because they're so ancient. Go ahead, blast this out to them, and they will download whatever it is that we're offering and all the frequencies we have. Uh, some stuff you should know. And if you do, and, and if, if you, you do, do, I'm doing a bunch of comedy shows coming up here in July. Just got back in town from doing a couple of shows, literally a couple, literally two shows up in Northern California and in Oregon. They were just amazing. It felt so good to be doing that again. I, I can't tell you how, how great it was. We had like a, a hell of a slog, like an 11 and a half hour drive. It was just sucked the fucking will out of my body to live but it didn't matter the shows were so good it was worth it so that's what these are going to be like but even better here they are july 15th i'll be in alameda at the alameda comedy club all these ones for july i'll be with the wonderful and hilarious amy miller so we'll be doing co-headlining sets so you get to see just the perfect amount of both of us so uh july 15th alameda alameda comedy club uh, I will be at uh, Gasser Garden on the uh, July 18th. I will be at San Francisco. July 19th, Santa Cruz at Greater Purpose Brewing. Um, uh, July 22nd, I'll be in Salem, Oregon at, I believe, the Capital City Theater. Uh, we don't have ticket links for that just yet, but they'll be coming. Uh, July 23rd and 24th will be in Portland, Oregon at the Siren Theater, wonderful little theater there in, in Portland. July 25th, we have two shows at Laughs Comedy Club in Seattle. July 27th, Las Vegas. You've heard, heard of it? it? You've heard of that, sh that place? Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. Okay, we'll be there at Artifice, July 27th. July 29th, Bisbee, Arizona at Chuckleheads and July 30th in Tucson. Also, this is kind of a, a little bit, not ahead of the game, but just to give you a, a heads up for now, I'm supposed to be in Austin, Texas. That's, you know, Austin, Texas, that place that people live in. I will be there um, doing a whole bunch of shows, a full weekend at the Creaking Cave. That's October 21st through the 23rd. Five shows total. So, Check that out. I'll probably have a bunch of other shows in Texas in that area around that time, mid to late October. So beware. Beware. Also, if you want to get tickets, which you do, all those shows I just mentioned, except for the, the October one, they all the ticket links are all on my website. It's johnnypemberton.dog. It's johnnypemberton.dog. It's my actual website. And all the links for the tickets are there. Go check it out. Get tickets. You have to come. If you don't come, you'll have missed out on possibly some of the biggest events of this upcoming summer. We're actually in the summer now, right? I mean, we're close. We're a few days from the equinox. God, isn't it going to be a crazy equinox? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, it is. Okay, this podcast I have now. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet. If you want to get more stuff, we're on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash live to tape. That's patreon.com slash live to tape. And uh, I'm going to start doing a weekly extra bonus show on there as well for patrons. So look out for that. This episode we have here is an incredible episode. 
I'm talking with a, a doctor, a real doctor, Adrian Smith. And Adrian Smith is a, uh, an entomologist, a doctor of entomology, a, the real deal. This guy is so incredible and so interesting. He is a, um, a researcher at North Carolina State University. He also is the head of the evolutionary biology department and behavior research lab at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. So this guy is like incredibly overqualified to be on this podcast for sure. The fact that he even uh, agreed to talk with me is outstanding. Um, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I have so many things I thought about asking him and answers to his questions after we stopped talking that I know we have to talk again at some point. If you haven't, please check out Ant Lab on YouTube. It's called Ant, I mean, it's called Ant Lab, sorry. Ant Labs on YouTube. It is, uh, was Ant, I'm sorry, I was getting confused. It's Ant Lab. It's Ant Lab, right? It's Ant Lab. And uh, it's just Ant Lab, just six letters, two words, Ant Lab on YouTube. He runs this, this site. It is some of the most beautifully shot and interesting and compelling video I've ever seen in my entire life regarding insects and small creatures. It is just stunning. It is so incredibly well done and cool. I cannot say enough about it. And so that's all I'll say because I can't say enough. So um, you're going to love this. He just put something new up with a guy who I met when I was at Florida State named Walter Schinkel. Uh, okay, I'm not going to talk about this anymore because we'll listen to the podcast. We talk about everything. I've just talked about We talk about it in depth. Thank you for listening. And please welcome to the podcast the absolutely amazing and fascinating Dr. Adrian A. We good? That sounds really good, yeah. Okay, awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for being here, by the way. This is really cool. I'm so excited this worked out. Yeah, of course. I'm stoked to be here. It's going to be awesome. I feel like when I saw, when I first saw one of your videos, I saw it just by random, and then I looked up your information. I was like, oh my God, this is too good to be true. I feel like <laughs> I can get a hold of him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Sometimes man, like totally. people are like, kind of like hidden away. Like they have like a, they have stuff that's available, but like you can't get a hold of them. But it was just... It was such a thrill because I felt like when I first saw some of the Ant Lab stuff, I just was um, – I've never seen anything like it before. It's so – Really? It's, to me, it's like so uh, – it's so unique and it, I just felt like it was made for me. I think a lot of people <laughs> must feel that way about it where it's just this thing. It's so perfect. And listeners, if you don't know, you have to check out Ant Lab on YouTube – which is your – so is that your project or how does that work exactly? Because you work at the university. Yeah, I'm at, uh, I'm at a science museum and a university. And yeah, um, that's something I started to do before I had a job really, um, okay. a permanent job in science. I've, I've, I'm like interested in science and I'm also interested in making media. Um, and so I've been like making stuff and putting stuff on the internet for a while. And then it kind of like – it kind of like is – half of what I do is make science for other scientists and half of what I do is make science for uh, a non-science, non-professional scientist audience. And so all the video stuff is, is aimed at that. And um, yeah. it's also part of my research. Um, 
but I'm glad to hear you say all those things. It's, it's super nice. And yeah, it's uh, awesome that, uh, that people catch it and like find it um, interesting to them. Well, I, I think it's so special. I mean, I guess what you just said is what I was probably going to ask you about, but I didn't realize that. It's like a thing where clearly you're a researcher, but also you're you're a filmmaker. Like you watch these things and you're not watching documentation. You're watching like a, a beautifully composed thing. They're also like really kind of short in a way. They're not that long. Yeah. It's like I think there's a lot of people out there who could watch hours on end of ants moving around. But most yeah. people probably don't want to watch hours of ants, but they – but you take you package this in a way where it's just like so appealing because you're doing all this stuff with these um these slow motion cameras. Well, I guess they're not slow motion; they're like extremely. Can you talk a little about the filming stuff process? Because that to me is it's just so interesting because it seems like so technical. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, um, kind of like it's in some ways I'm kind of like. I'm mad or disappointed at, at a lot of science because almost every science lab has some cool piece of equipment in their lab to try right. to see the world in a way that people no, don't normally see it. And so a lot of labs have like high speed, ultra slow-mo cameras like I do, but most of them like don't even buy color sensors. Like they buy black and white and they never clean their sensors. And they're only interested in gathering videos to like put in a supplementary materials for their science paper that no one right. can see because it's behind a paywall. So like I, you know, I got interested in like media making stuff um, uh, sort of after college and, and would, you know, in grad school would, I took a night course in a film school at Scottsdale Community College and learned how to use Avid um, to edit, to edit stuff. And then old the, school Avid, man. Yeah, Nobody I know, I know. Anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, and and my, my, a lot of my research uh, is on fast moving things, so you need like these expensive um, cameras, slow motion cameras, to film it. And so when I'm buying these cameras, like give me the color version, like let me check out the specs for like resolution and stuff, because I'm gonna use this for science. But I'm also like, like I appreciate like it. The, the stuff I'm filming like blows my mind when I see it, because I can't you, you know you can't see insects move at this speed when when you're yeah. filming them at like you know, whatever, 12,000 frames per second. Like, that's impossible to see. So, like, it's a thrill for me just to see the stuff, like, on on film, both scientifically, but then at the same time, I can appreciate it for just, like, you know, I, you know, these are bugs I find in my backyard and, and yeah. filming them in a way that it's just, it's mind-blowing for me at the same time. So I, I want to try to, like, share that, share that part of science, I guess. Yeah, because it seems to me like what you're saying is how a lot of these scientists don't use their color features of the cameras. They don't even buy them. or they, They're not concerned that, with it. But I it. guess yeah. it, seem, it seems to me like wouldn't that be part of science itself even though you're saying it's because your own interest, you, you want to see these colors and see all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But there ha you, ha you must have revealed things in filming that you wouldn't have seen if you were just doing it for a supplemental – material but you're doing it as this primary thing you must have revealed things in your filming that led to actual scientific information or like a, a, a what do you call it? Like a finding or something right yeah totally i mean i i think all all of research science starts at like curiosity and then trying to mm -hmm. see something for the sake of seeing it or trying to figure out something for the sake of figuring out that you think that no one else has ever right that's where all science starts 
And so yeah. for me, that's like a very literal thing about like visual stuff. It's about like, I want to see this, this animal, this insect do something uh, that I, I don't think anybody's looked at this or filmed this in this way or captured this, you know, flight behavior, jumping behavior, et cetera, um, in a way that you can actually see what's going on. So it all kind of starts there. But like most of science, like then takes a right turn and says, okay, I saw it and I'm going to follow it up. And my end goal is, is a, is a journal article, um, for my colleagues to read, like written in a way yeah. that most people can't read, you, you know, you have to have a university library access to get to. And so I, I, I also go that down that road, but at the same time, I'm like, this is just too cool. And like, not to like, m like make a five minute YouTube video around and tell a story yeah. about like why I think it's crazy and why I think other people might think it's crazy too. Yeah. Some of that stuff, I watched that leaf cutter ant one last night mm -hmm. and I feel like, I mean, I was a little stoned, but it still was <clears throat> something where it feel it's it's so beautiful. It almost makes you want to cry because you see this thing where uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like you ever watched Koyaanisqatsi. What? You ever seen the movie Koyaanisqatsi? No. It's huh? a documentary. It's like sort of like a I guess you could call it technically it's a documentary, but it's kind of an experimental film. All the music is by Philip Glass. It's mm -hmm. from like it's this guy Godfrey Reggio made it. It's all these um, beautiful slow motion and aerial photographs of um, a lot of industry and a lot of like basically it's a it's a, uh, I think it translates to nature out of balance. Oh, cool! And it's kind of uh -huh. about like um, it, in a way it's kind of bleak and sad, but it's also just showing you all this stuff that's happening in the world that's uh, kind of like I don't know something about it. it it's very. Uh, philosophical but it's also yeah when you, when you boil it down it's just images and music it's yeah. not really anything happening but it definitely tells a story and you watch those i feel like get the, i get the same feeling when i watch some of those some of your videos where it's this thing where if it paired with music and you're seeing something that you would never see with mm -hmm. the, in real life it's something where you technology has given you the access to see this thing that would be mm -hmm. completely impossible to see and it's almost like you're like you're time traveling or you're doing something where you're, you're getting access to see, it's like a secret. It's like this, you've unveiled this secret. You get to see this thing and it's just, it's, to me, it's like breathtaking because it feels like you have been allowed into a world that you, it's like, you just, you have no business being there, but you get, we get to see this thing. It's so rare. Like yeah. It's crazy to get to see those leaf cutter ants, like the way, how, how perfect the cut looks when you look mm -hmm. at it up close. How mm -hmm. how jagged it is! It's just this. The, I guess it's, to me, it's this. The idea of scale is so interesting because it's. Um, it doesn't make any sense, really. And it's some. Yeah. You know what I mean. I know. I get the same. That? I get the same feelings though. It's like it's like doing this stuff is is like this stuff is happening like on Earth, regardless of us. Like it don't give a shit about what you're doing, what I'm doing. It doesn't even. It might. These things don't even know we exist, probably. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just crazy. And like the like the level of complexity and the level of like, you know, these these things are like the products of millions of years of evolution, regardless of us. Like, just who doesn't matter. Like, right? They're they're just their own thing, like outside of of human whatever, right? So and like getting to see it on like yeah, different scale. Like some of the stuff you can only see because it happens so fast. It's like out of our perception. Or on the other side, some of it happens so slow that like the only way you can actually see something is like a time-lapse video or whatever. Yeah. 
So like at the same time, I, I, I see this stuff and it's like humbling, you know, it's like, man, totally. I, it's like, you don't, you don't like the level of like, just of, of uh, the level of complexity. Like you can deep dive into like something that's just right outside and, and be lost and spend an entire career like working on to like try to figure out. And that's like one little sliver of like life, you know, it's, it's a tiny I, I don't know. It, ma- it makes you feel dumb at the same time because it's like, I don't, I don't know anything about this. Like, I, you know, there's 20,000 species of ants and like, I, I, I might know a little bit about like five of them basically. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm supposed to know, cause I like, I have a PhD and like, this is my job, but like, I don't know, like <laughs> so much of it is just, it's just awaiting description or even awaiting like being seen, you know, yeah. and, and appreciated for what it is. With like scale and stuff, do you think that, um, I mean, sometimes I used to think when I to try to like ground myself or just to relax or whatever, there's like this little green bug. I think you showed it in one of your videos once. I think it's not, not a lacewing, but it looks like a lacewing. Mm-hmm. It's a little green mm-hmm. bug that has those, those long elongated wings. Mm-hmm. Um, might be a lace very, Might be a lace I guess, but it, it's very, very, very small. It's like, you know, like half the length length of your uh, pinky fingernail. You know, it's very, very mm-hmm. tiny. I got a picture of one once. It was sitting on the, you know, like a a chain you pull to turn a light on. It has mm-hmm. a little like uh, steel ball at the tip of it. It was mm-hmm. kind of stuck to the side of that, and I got this. Somehow the camera managed to focus, and I got a picture of it. And I almost looked like it was saying hi because it was raising one of his. With its uh-huh. uh, appendages, uh-huh. well, I was gonna say arms, but it's like it's not really an arm <laughs> exactly. But right. Yeah. It's this crazy picture, and I, sometimes I like to imagine, like, imagine a, something that is so small that it views that little animal the same way I would view like the world's largest plane, like going mm. underneath the seven forty seven or something. You like looking up at this hulking object that can mm-hmm. fly, mm-hmm. and how there's something out there that is so small that it looks at that lace wing like it's giant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just the idea of that is so like the, the idea of the, like the scaling stuff, it's kind of like, a, how, is there some point where it seems like the, the, there's no end to it almost. So like you can zoom out and zoom in to no end. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, and especially like when you're um, a researcher, like you have to like, forget your bias, right? We perceive mm-hmm. the world in a certain way, but that's not, that's not equivalent to how, you know, XYZ organism like deals with, you know, getting around on earth, like the way that they perceive the world. So yeah, a lot of that is like, you just got to be careful about your assumptions uh, when you look at this stuff and, and, you know, we're trying to figure out why is this thing doing this or what is it, what is it responding to? Um, I mean, a lot of my work was like before now was on ants and a lot of it was on like chemical communication because these like underground ants are all you know coordinating with each other and doing things in mm-hmm. response to each other but it's all like underground and complete darkness so there's wow. there's no visual cues right it's all it's all tactile and then chemical they're like touching each other with their with their antenna and then that's informing them about you know how dense the nest is how what what um the status of the individual they just touched was and so, yeah, it's like I constantly find myself sort of thinking about that and having to reconfigure, like, what is, you know, what does this mean for this organism living like this? You know, I mean, flight's a whole nother bag of worms, right? When you're that small, Flight. yeah. like, and, and, 
and moving in the air is like a completely different thing than we think of moving in the air or we yeah. think of how flight works. I mean, you can just look in an airplane and like watch one of my flight videos and it's like, what? I, this is like, uh, the flight is so diverse in insects and there's so many strategies to get in the air and they do it so many different ways. It's, it's kind of mind bending and it's just a different, it's a different thing for them. That's what I, I think about a lot. Maybe you can explain this more because obviously mass plays an important role for insects, right? Because if a, if a tiny uh, t- like mosquito falls out of the sky, it could fall, fall a mile and it's never going to reach terminal velocity, right? Because it's yeah. it has no, such a small mass. Yeah. I'm really bad so, at that part of it. Um, okay. But yes, it is completely different. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean – you know, I, some of the things I film, like springtails, like when they jump, the the globular ones look like miniature little little pigs or something. But they have yeah. a tail, a spring-loaded tail underneath them. They flip down and they jump. But when they jump, they're doing like 200 revolutions a second. Right. So it's like it's like it's like Sonic the Hedgehog gone wild. And like, why are they spinning so fast? Are they? Do they mean to do it on purpose? Maybe. And it's just it it's it's kind of thinking of, you know, how they're interacting with even air in a different way than, than we are. Yeah, because they're so much smaller that it has to mm-hmm. even – because air is technically kind of thick. Yeah. Otherwise, animals wouldn't be able to fly. But for something that's so small, I guess it's like I, I can't even comprehend this because I don't understand physics and stuff. Yeah, but me neither. How, how does <laughs> isn't there, there has to be some accounting for – like if you think about like an ant, the, like a springtail – how much bigger could it get? Would it? At what point would it fail? Like, how much bigger mm-hmm. would it have? Would it have to be to for that what it does to not work? Yeah, because it it works because of the scale, right? Not because like if you have if it's the size of a chihuahua, I wouldn't be able to do that, right? Because it would probably die because it would of all the mechanisms and stuff that are in play. Yeah, yeah, probably. What, I mean, some some springtails do get pretty big, but and and they don't all do the same thing. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, and it, I mean, one of the things is like you know, I I started filming springtails because there's only like two people who have done it to really? like visualize it ever. Yeah, there's like there's two papers of the science of like springtail jumps, the, um, me- the mechanism of it, like the mechanics of it. No, no, there's two papers that use the camera fast enough to see a springtail get into the air, Jesus. and would not not have it be a blur total. Yeah, and like yeah, so. It's like that stuff is just there's so much stuff that's unexplored, unexplained and and unknown. Um, Well, I mean, one idea we have for the springtails is that, you know, um, you've probably seen like viral videos of like, you know, some YouTube dudes up on like Hoover Dam. They they throw a basketball off the dam and they do the backspin and like it's called the Magnus effect. Yeah, it's like the thing that pitchers do when they throw a baseball and, and like spin and gets the ball to move. Okay. Um, so it could be that, that the springtails are spinning like that because that actually adds to their trajectory, modifies their trajectory, does something like that uh, when they're – instead of just jumping straight up, they're like, you know, they're like a, a spinning fastball uh, going going up in the air. It could be. That's crazy to think about that. Does, yeah. Do you know if um, – it's back to like flying and stuff. Mm-hmm. Does that – does like Bernoulli's principle still apply to – um, a flight for insects, or is it different? I I don't know. 
I'm I'm bad at that, that okay. aspect of it. <laughs> like I'm not even sure I know where... what Bernoulli's principle is. I, with the flight stuff, as... I'll, let me say this: with the flight okay. stuff, I I made those videos because like my kids go to bed eight thirty at night. I'm like, man, I can't leave the house. Like they're asleep. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna put a black light up in the backyard, and I'm gonna catch a bunch of bugs, and I'm gonna bring them into the laundry room and like film them taking right. off because like i know like no one's doing this like people are sending flight like in house flies and and fruit mm -hmm. flies and dragonflies and stuff but no one's just like no one's no one's seeing this stuff so um there's only a very small like level of expertise that i have in general and odds are that i if you know if i film enough stuff that i know no one has filmed before like i'll hit that sweet spot where like i'll see something and I'm like man i think i can explain this i think i can do an experiment on it um but the tragedy is is that i'm kind of dumb so the most of the stuff i'm going to see <laughs> is outside of my expertise right so i'm i know i'm seeing stuff in this in these videos it's like oh this would be cool to study but like ah uh, i just i didn't get a phd in that i don't know that that area so like i'll put out these videos and i'll get like emails from researchers like in the uk that study flight and they're like <sighs> we're really interested in this stuff like we we want to do it. i'm like yeah use it i mean please please do like there's i have you know, a very small level of expertise. And I know there's some cool stuff in here. Like I can smell it, but I just can't, I don't have the technical capacity well, to what, actually do it. Your expertise is, is with ants and like communication. Is that your main thing? Uh, it's mostly like, yeah. I mean, and then it's like behavior. It's like doing experiments behavior, okay. to figure out like why an insect is doing X, Y, Z. Um, a lot of like the biomechanics, like physics stuff is, is outside of my, is a little bit outside of my expertise. So I collaborate with people to do that. Um, but what really gets me going is, is trying to figure out behavior or, or see, or see something new or explain like something new about, so yeah, like kind of the whys and the, and the, and the hows kind of, of like why, why an animal acts a certain way or, or does a certain thing. Yeah, when I say Bernoulli's principle, that's that's as much as I know right there. That's the end. I know that from, air, okay. from liking airplanes a lot because that's how airplanes fly, I guess, is that um, the air going over the camber of the wing. So the camber is like the, mm -hmm. the curved top part and the bottom of the wing is flat. So mm -hmm. the air moving moves faster over the top of the wing, creating an area of negative pressure, which creates lift. So yes. that's how airplanes fly. But right. That does that think... does still work in insects. Okay, now now that now right. that I now that I have that definition, yeah, for sure. But I you, mm -hmm. but you see birds flapping. Obviously, when a bird is like soaring, there's probably mm -hmm. some sort of Bernoulli's principle at work. But what I don't understand is how. I mean, it sounds dumb, but how does how does flapping work? Is it as basic as you're just displacing the air over the, mm -hmm. the surface area is greater than the weight, so you're just displacing it? Uh, no, they're, they're cutting their wings through the air, right? So they're not just going up and down. They're going okay. kind of more of a, like a figure eight. So like the down flaps are like cutting forward through the air and then they they can turn their wing, uh, yeah. back to interact with the air differently on the backstroke and then flip it back, you know? Hmm. So it's not just like a, this it's not just, a flap. Kind of, it's kind of like swimming. They're kind of like cutting wow. that way. Um, okay, and they all kind of do it different then. too. Like, like some insects, like link, like all insects, the main body plan is you have a front wing and you have a hind wing. Some of them link them together, like butterflies or moths are usually linked and it's like one functional big wing. Um, like a beetle, the, the front wings are hardened into a thing called elytra, which is like a protective case, which barely flap at all. Like they move a little bit, but then the, the hind wings are like weird things that, that can fold up and like expand to twice the length of the, of the body. And those are the things doing most of the work. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's like it's it's so diverse in insects. Like one of the things that kind of blew my mind is like when you when you think about like you know if you just ask anybody like what what things fly like insects uh-huh. is way down the list. Like you'd say like birds, bats, uh, some dinosaurs, yeah. but like in actuality, like the most flying things on earth and the most diverse flying things, the most different styles of flying is all in insects and insects were the first group of organisms to evolve the ability to fly. Mm-hmm. And like, even me as like someone who has like degrees in entomology, like, I don't think I really appreciated that until I started, you know, grabbing stuff and filming it and, and thinking about it a little bit more. And it's just like, yeah, it's, it's so kind of outside of the first things that people that I usually would go to, you know? Yeah. I don't know. What do you think of when, I mean, what what would your answer of that be before you saw these videos? Things that fly? Yeah. Like, would you say insects? Yeah. Right. I might've said, um, you know, I might've said like wasps and bees, maybe. Mm. Um, I might've said like those, those big, those big bugs we have here, uh, scarab beetles. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know, but I, I probably would have, I probably would have said birds like anybody else because I think about birds as, because yeah. yeah, you think about birds actually flying because they have more at stake. Because you think about a, you think about a bug, and a bug, as cool as flying is for a bug, if it uh-huh. falls, it's not going to die from, fall, it's not uh-huh. going to die falling out of the sky, is it? Is, is there a bug that would die if it fell out of the sky? Is it big enough? Mm, they could impale to have enough mass. Or something. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like on a trap. <laughs> There's a lot of ways to die. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, probably not. I mean, there are some really big insects. Like some some beetles get pretty big. Um, and yeah, it's it's yeah it's it's weird that flight is like. I don't know. It's like it's like they move in just like more dimensions than other things. Because I yeah. mean, one one thing that I've that it's in those videos is like how tied flying is to jumping. Like tons okay. of insects to get off the ground. They don't flap. They just like hurt. They just jump. They just use their legs and hurl themselves into the air. And it's like, okay, my legs, I'm like, I'm in the air now. I guess I'll just like use this appendage and fly now. Do you guys so have like, it evolved? Um, maybe. Yeah, that's still idea? a debate. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's still an open debate. Well, they don't. It's still a, a debate around what body segments, like wings, came out of for insects, okay. and then what was like the context for it. There's there's one, there's one interesting theory that's like has to do with um, stoneflies, which are big aquatic insects, and um, that like whatever appendage they were moving around helped them sort of skate across the surface of water. It would lift them enough. It wouldn't lift them in the air, but it would lift them enough to like get some pressure off of the off of the surface of water so they wouldn't sink and they could just like skate and ski across the surface of the water and you know if you do that enough and it's advantageous enough to escape whatever you know Mm -hmm. a predator or whatever then you you know the selective pressure is there to to flap better and better and to lift yourself up and go faster and faster and and maybe that puts you in the air eventually um so there's there's different theories for for why um, flight evolved, but a lot of it has to do with, um, getting away from predators and also opening up a whole different sort of ecological niche to explore when there's nothing else in the air and you can get around to the tops of trees or like at the forest floor, like that's a huge advantage. What's, which uh, side of the debate are you on? 
Uh, on the side of debate of I don't work on that, I don't care, I just appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the crazy thing about on. science. Is there's just so much out there. It's like yeah, you, you you have to specialize, and because there's just not enough time to like. At what point for you are you are you like okay, I'm out. I can't. This is uh, I can't get into that because it's just opening up a whole other realm of thought and like research and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm, I, so my, I boil down to like, and I think a lot of things boil down and not just science, but like, you know, the arts and stuff. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I, I boil down to like, what are the, what are the stories I'm best positioned to tell? And like, what are the things that if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. Okay. Like what are like the insights into something that like, if I don't take this to its end or if I don't see this out, I don't think it'll ever exist. Right. Like if, you know, it, and so I think that's like, I don't know. I mean, it's a very I artistic get a lot of, way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I get a lot of inspiration from like reading things about like creative writing or, mm-hmm. you know, um, filmmaking or I mean, even like stand up comedy. Like a lot of the stuff <laughs> I think applies. I mean, yeah. dude, the, the only reason I started making media was because I was like, you know, listening to like stand up comedy world sort of media maker things like right. um i mean uh, yeah so it's you know and th- that's part of the reason why i'm so into media making as a scientist like i don't want to drop out of science and and make you know animal animal movies or like tv or something like that no mm-hmm. i want to stay in science and then i want to like make media in science and like bad that be part of my professional thing because someone with a job like me like it's like it's my job to 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 find those stories to find like yeah. you know things that wouldn't be known or wouldn't be told or wouldn't be seen if if there wasn't someone paid to do ridiculous things like me like film insects or whatever it feels um, like it's the same thing to me when you talk about it because i and i would say it's different from your perspective but when i see that see that stuff to me it's it is the it is science it's and filmmaking it's two different things but they are the yeah. same thing because what you're doing with it is create. It's opening more doors, not closing them. And it's it's asking more. I think it's answering more questions than it is than it would be otherwise. Because you, you're just. It's not like a means to an end. It feels like it feels more like a like just like an exploration as opposed to like you're talking about like gotta write a paper, share it with my peers. <laughs> and it's like this insular yeah. world as opposed to because if you could, I think you can if you can explain stuff to laymen or get people interested in it who aren't scientists, it's this thing where, at least for me, I feel like it's, uh, it makes it, it just creates like a, a bigger world where all that stuff can exist. And it's so much more, so it's most, there's a lot more potential. Yeah, no, totally. And like, I mean, as we just demonstrated, like there's, there's so many things where I'm practical. I'm not a scientist. Like you talk about like, you know, airplane wings. I'm like, I'm out. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Like that, yeah. I'm not a scientist, like uh, in that, in that specific, specific thing. So, right. you know, I feel like I, you know, I try to catch myself as much as possible to never like, like, I don't know. It's like talk down or like, you know, write off like, Oh, you don't know about this. Uh, that's, that's dumb. Like you should know about this. It's like, well, I don't know. I don't know about stuff like left, right and everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't know. I try, I try to I try to keep that perspective in like making stuff and and also doing science at the same time. Um, 
you know, because I mean, that's where like the interesting stuff happens when you're like uncomfortable, you're outside of, of what you what you know, and and what you have done in the past, and you're just trying new stuff and, and seeing what you can see. And, you know, sometimes what you can see is, is like a literal interpretation. And sometimes it's like, well, I, I just don't know about this thing. So it's probably cool, but I have no idea, you know, because you mean, can't figure out what it is. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. What do yeah. you remember, like a point in time that got you into ants and stuff like how you got into it? Yeah, I um well I, um I didn't know any like scientists growing up. Like my family didn't graduate from college or anything like that. Um Where'd you grow up? And I grew up half in Illinois, half in Florida, like the okay. later half of my childhood in Florida. And um I you know, I went to Florida State University. Same um, as me, we talked about this, yeah. Nice, yeah. yeah. Uh but uh, I, I only applied to two universities. Probably the University of Florida didn't get in. Applied to Florida State, and I got in. And I was like, I guess I'll do here. I don't know. I never even visited the place. I just showed up. And, like, day wow. one, I just walked. I was like, I, what is this? I was I, almost I the same thing, on. man. I yeah? showed up there. I went for... Did, yeah, I did. did. you grow did up not, in Florida? No, I grew up in Minnesota. Oh, why'd you go to Florida State? That's people always ask, and the answer is always because I got in. I got accepted. <laughs> so okay. I think accepted other places. Uh-huh. Um, I wanted to go there because it's far away. Uh-huh. It's like what did difference. you know what you wanted to, to be when you went to when you yeah, went to college? I wanted to be a filmmaker, but I did not get into film school, which was the best thing ever to happen. Yeah. Did you apply to the Florida State Film School? Because they have a good film oh, school. Yeah, I did. I applied to that film school. Okay. But I, I did not get in. I think it's probably for the best because I think as good as the film school is, I'm using good as in quotes here because I feel like there's no such Ooh, thing sounds as like you got film. an axe to grind. Uh, I think I've, the axe has been ground down to the, to the, uh, to the <laughs> what do you call it, the, the stump or the stick. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's been done grinding, yeah. Or I think okay. I've thrown the axe away because I was like, oh, I don't care about this axe. But basically, I just okay. feel like uh, there was not, it wasn't like a lot of sense of humor going on there. And that's, mm. what, you know, I'm, that's what I got into is comedy. So yeah. I feel like it would have. I would have been unhappy, but that's why I went mm -hmm. there. It was just to, just to uh, go there. I didn't even know there was a film school. Like I took a campus tour and I was like, right. oh, there's a film school here? Can I just be in that program? And they're like, oh, no, oh, you, no. Had to, like, you had to like submit a package when you were 16. And like Dude. you had to, you know, you had to get, get a recommendation from Stanley Kubrick. And it's like, what? Exactly. Who's Stanley Kubrick? I don't know. Like what's going on? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. They, they would not have liked you because they, they – you have to be super pretentious and um, yeah. have all these uh, whatever. That's the whole other thing. But you say you just showed up at the school. I just showed up, yeah. yeah and I thought, I thought maybe I was going to be like a like a doctor, a vet, and I started taking like science classes. And then one of my one of my professors, um, I needed to have a job to to mm -hmm. like have money um, to to pay for parts of college. So one of my professors was hiring someone to like do dishes, basically in his lab. And that turned out to be Walter Schinkel, oh who I God, think you know so cool. too. Yeah, yeah I met him guy. once. Nice. Um, yeah, so he he was there. He he taught like bio one hundred and one and one hundred and two, um, and I got a job like my freshman year basically, and ended up working there for him for like three and a half years. Wow. Um, like kind of just doing odd jobs, and I got kind of sucked into it. I, I mean, I had no idea you could do this for a living and study ants and mm -hmm. or study any insects basically, besides like be a pest control person. Um, 
And that really hooked me. And I feel real fortunate for that because, like, he's he's a total badass. Like, yeah, he there's, is. There's no other scientist like him. Yeah, I, when I first met him, I was uh, doing like I was studying TV film, TV uh, what's it called? TV production, which is like uh-huh. the uh, the stoner drunk version of film school at Florida State. The communications, the communications yeah. department version. Exactly. I was in yeah. the communications department version. Way okay. more fun. The best thing okay. I ever did. Uh, <laughs> Have lifelong friends from that that area. Nice. And nice. I went to interview. I was making like a fake news piece, like a, uh-huh. da- a Daily Show type thing. And I went uh-huh. to see. I, I was always interested in in insects and stuff, but I went to. I interviewed him about fire mm-hmm. ants, and mm-hmm. uh, it was right before he was about to start doing this thing where he was melting down aluminum to cast the the nests because he was doing yeah. it with with plaster before, but he said it was so tedious to to yeah. excavate it because you break the plaster. So he's like, what if I use metal, like molten metal? And I yeah. saw in the corner of his office, he had a scuba tank with the top cut off. So yeah. you could use it as a crucible to yeah. melt it in the field and pour it in there. I was like, holy shit, this is fucking cool as hell. <laughs> he's like, I, didn't, I went there just as like a, on like a lark to interview a scientist. And I'm like, wow, this is so interesting. It's so much... It was uh-huh. more than I thought it was going to be. And I did this stupid little piece. It's lost to time now. Oh, but you don't have just, it? I mean, I might be able to find it. This was in 2002 or something, probably. Dude, so. I, to, just right before I logged on to this, you know what? I did a closed premiere uh, because I just I just finished the first draft of a, like 11-minute like mini doc on Schinkel that I really? filmed like two weeks ago. And it's all about like the invention of metal casting. Oh my god, that's spent, so cool! I just spent two days with them, like last, like two weeks, like a week and a half ago. Like, that's and we amazing. did a metal cast in the field, and yeah, he has a book coming out about ant nest architecture. It comes out like in like ten days, and when I heard about it, I was like, "Whoop! I'm going to Tallahassee. I'm going to film you. Like, we're doing this. Like, I gotta, we gotta, I gotta. Like, there's no good version of of this and your story on the internet. So, yeah, yep. I, this it's one of the things. It's just like. It's one of the things where I like hear something is like, well, if I don't do this, nobody's gonna do it. And I think I I think I can get a unique perspective on this. So like, pack up the car and let's go. I'm making this right now. So that's great. Yeah. So I'm about it... to export draft number one of that. Yes. So if you have that version of like pre pre invention of metal cast thing, you send me the file, uh, man. I, I ha- need it. I have to talk to my friend if I can even get a hold of him. Someone yeah. I haven't talked to like in ten plus years. He might uh, still have it somewhere, but. I, I have a feeling it's gone. It's like yeah. it was before the time when media could live forever on like a, t- yeah. a little drive or be on the cloud. So, so but, it must have yeah. been like that must have been like ninety nine two thousand. It was two thousand two or two thousand one, I think. Okay, uh huh. I think so. I'm pretty sure because it was right. I remember him telling me about it when I was in his office because I was interviewing him about fire ants. Uh huh. It was supposed to be like like a scary piece, like fire ants. They're here. Sure. Like be like like you know making them all scary and stuff. Yeah. Because I was obsessed with fire ants because we didn't have them in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, years after I left Florida, anytime I was walking at night in the mm-hmm. grass, mm-hmm. I would never stop until I got to a curb or something. Because I was like, God forbid you stop. Like, how many times have you seen a drunk person at a party? Like, yeah. I've seen so many drunk girls just. All next thing you know, oh, they're covered in fire ants because they were just they were <laughs> hanging out in the in the uh, in the grass, and they stopped moving long enough uh-huh. for them to just they happen to be on near enough to a mound where they just crawled over their fucking legs and bit the <laughs> shit out of them. I was so scared of that because I did not 
like getting bitten by fire ants. So yeah, I would yeah. always like yeah, I would never stop walking at night in the grass. But I was just yeah. so obsessed with them because I, I think the coolest thing about fire ants is that someone told me about how they how quickly they rebuild their nests. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like a thing where that to me is just already amazing how you can like kick over half of a giant fire ant nest and they're like we don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's insane. I mean, because there's a hundred thousand ants in there. And and they can they can rebuild their entire nest in like a day or so. You might you, I, maybe you remember this. So if you went up to like film Walter like in his yeah. in his office, and when you mm-hmm. walked up that building, like on the stairs, there's a big like display case of a giant cast, a plaster cast of a harvester ant nest. It's yeah, like eight I feet that. tall. I yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Okay. So that's his most famous one. That's like his second plaster cast he's ever done. Mm-hmm. And the mind blowing part about that is. That is a, like a full mature colony of like eight thousand harvester ants or whatever, right. and they that they they basically moved out of that. It's a cast of the underground nest. They moved out of that cast, out of that nest that was there in the ground because he cast an abandoned one and redug mm-hmm. that in two days. So they just <laughs> made that. They're just like, yeah, we're just gonna move like ten feet over here and we're just gonna dig this, this entire like eight foot skyscraper. Like, yeah. you know, ultra big thing, like in just a couple of days. It's crazy. And so like stuff like that is like just, and, and there's also like no lead architect ant, right? It's just like, they're all doing it based on local cues. It's like a distributed, like um, self-organized sort of behavioral thing at the colony level. You know, there's no, there's no special cast of like architecture ants that just like right. dig and the rest just sit there and wait till it's done. It's like, they're. They're all sort of responding to individual, like, kind of dumb algorithm rules in, in each head, and they end up with this very specific, complex, and sort of almost designed looking thing at the end. It's just that stuff is just crazy. It's really crazy how, how they can do that. And they just do it, like you say, based on instinct. There's yeah. no. Because also, I remember learning about how. Um, you know, people were really worried about the encroachment of fire ants. This was, you know, probably 20 years ago. I remember hearing about it. But how you can't really limit the amount of them that much. You can you can do stuff, but you can't really stop them because yeah. they stop themselves because they won't be a colony that close to another colony because they would they, – they can't share resources. So in some sense, they limit their own uh, – they limit themselves, right, because they can't be that many colonies in one square mile. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And they they yeah, they're very territorial with each other. And then at the same time, they we're we're stuck with them because like their preferred habitat is is corresponds really well to ours. Like they like a well-manicured lawn, like a sunny lawn. <laughs> really? They don't like if you like redo your yard to be like a natural sort of shaded like foresty thing. They'd much rather be in like a nice freshly trimmed open yard with This you is know. fire ants? Yeah. Why yeah. is that? And they, uh, because they're that's just the the habitat that they evolved in. They evolved in like open floodplains in like South America, okay. and they like really sunny spots. That's why they have that mound above the ground, because they move the entire colony up like when the soil's cold, and they just sort of like it's a sunroom basically. Wow. Um, so they they like sort of that hot open kind of um, even like hyper disturbed places because they're they're really good at responding to floods. Like their their entire colony will come up and, and raft away. If oh, it, that if it thing! Gets flooded you, and they're like, can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Because I know a little bit about it. But I remember when I first yeah. learned about that, I was like, "That's not. It can't be true." Also, yeah. it's it seems to be the scariest thing 
if you think about it, like, uh, yeah, it's so scary. <laughs> Could you imagine yeah. encountering that? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it would suck if you were swimming for sure. Exactly. Uh, but we used to joke yeah. about like throwing, like imagine throwing a ball of fire ants. Like that's yeah. your weapon. Yeah. It would be pretty bad for the junk girl on the lawn for sure. Oof. Um, yeah, it's like, so, I mean, they're really good at responding because they, they evolved in a floodplain, basically. So when it floods, the entire colony, which could be up to like 100,000 ants, will all uh, like go up and out and sort of congregate in the highest part on the mound, basically. And then when it floods to the mound, they form a living raft with their bodies. So the workers will hang on to each other, hang on with their legs, bite their antennae, and they'll spread out on a raft that's like an interconnected group of workers and then all the, the the rest of the workers will pick up like the larvae and the pupa and, and the queen will come along, the eggs, and everybody will just hang out on top of that living raft of workers. And then they can float around that like that for days, basically until they bump into like solid ground or bump into like, you know, uh, big enough vegetation that they can climb up on. Um, and they'll just wait for the waters to recede and then they'll just dig a, dig a new nest. So like here in North Carolina, when there's like a hurricane or something, like there's always a news thing about uh, like, uh, watch out for the, the rafts of fire ants floating down oh. the street. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, the, like the, oh, there's a, uh, it rains so hard. There's a shark on the sidewalk. Like, oh, yeah. look out. But uh, in this case, it's kind of real. There's like fire ants floating down the street. I can handle yeah. a shark because the shark's one thing. It's got one mouth and chances are you can like evade it. It's not going to destroy No, 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 no. I think it's fast, over. man. You can you can evade fire ants better than you can evade sharks for sure. But the shark, it's like you can see its eyes. You know where it's going, kind of thing. It's also a floodplain. Mm. It's probably a bunch of stuff you can stand on. It's uh-huh. it's in your world. But if I was mm. out there, and there's like a bunch of raft of fire ants, I just all it would take <laughs> is just one touching you, and they're all on you, and they just <laughs> get all bitten, and then, uh-huh. whew, yeah, I, I don't like it. I think you have some traumatic stress with the uh, with fire ants. I, I, I you know I think it is. That. It's the way they see that of the nest. It yeah. seems so alien and so. I would just. I never stop being fascinated with the way you. I love to disturb the nest, like to to jump yeah. up and down next to one and watch them just go. It's yeah, like sure. zombies or something like that. They're so yeah. scary. Where did your interest in insects come from? I don't know. I, I just like outside they... of your outside of like your professional like sphere here. Yeah. Where where did that? Have you always been into bugs? Yeah, I've always been into bugs and gardening and stuff. I just think they're cool because it's – Yeah? I guess because they are cool because um, they, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's anything – it doesn't make any sense at all. I think I just think insects are really interesting because they're just so much different. I mm-hmm. think a big thing about it too is just the way that they are able to live. Like I've always found spiders really interesting because it's like they're um, they're like these incredible predators, you know, mm-hmm. where they uh, – they're not, they're not like a roach where a roach is like, oh, that's gross. That's dirty. You think of mm-hmm. a spider. No one's ever grossed out from a spider because it's got disease on it. No one's ever yeah. worried about getting disease from a spider. They're worried about getting bitten by a spider. It's like such a tiny thing that's able to inspire so much fear when it's mm-hmm. it's actually not going to do anything. I mm-hmm. guess – I don't know. I, I think I just find them to be fascinating in the sense of like the way they look and the way they move. It's something where – like the scale of it is so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. Also, the stuff that you talk about in a lot of your videos, where you talk about like these um, these weird mechanisms, like the mechanics of the springtail, or like the mm-hmm. the jaws of the trapdoor ant, kind of not mm-hmm. trapdoor ant, the um, 
trap giant. That, yeah. The trap giant. That yeah. stuff to me is just crazy because it seems like how can it exist? Like the the if you think about the how fine the mechanics are of this thing that mm-hmm. we would if we were to build it uh to be human size, it would be difficult in and of itself. And there's this thing it's so small that functions so perfectly and it's mm-hmm. really just a mechanical thing. Like that stinger mm-hmm. thing you showed on one of your videos, mm-hmm. that to me, it just, I kind of can't even comprehend it. It seems to be like impossible that like these mechanical things that are sliding past each other that create this. Yeah. It seems like too simple to work. I guess that's what it gets me sometimes is how simple some of these things are that work really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, there's a whole fields like built around, studying this stuff just for engineering applications. Um, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the money in science, uh, comes from like looking at these systems and then like the office of Naval research will give you like 2 million bucks to like study, you know, whatever thing to make the robots better. Um, yeah. like a lot of my colleagues, like, I don't, I don't have those grants, but a lot of my colleagues do. Um, and like the, the, the stinger thing, uh, the ant stinger, uh, is another example of like, I was, I was, you know, reading around. I was like, wait, has no one really filmed like venom coming out of an ant singer? That's really never been done. And like, yeah, that's never been done. So that that was the reason why I did that. And then then I got a an email from uh, a guy. Where was he? I think he was in the Netherlands, uh-huh. who studies uh, wasp stingers, um, and gets a lot of his funding for like needle design, basically, wow. um, from like healthcare sort of. Uh, things, but the thing is with wasps is, and an ant is like a derived version of a wasp. Uh, wasps like they they inject they inject venom, but their their stinger also um, is in a lot of them an ovipositor. So it does the same movement, but that movement that sort of back and forth like piston like shimmy of parts of it are actually movements to physically push an egg down the like ovipositor shaft. Because inside okay. of those little little piston shimmies, there's there's one directional hairs that like Jesus. they grip when you push down, and when you pull back, they don't grip. So they're like physically like going like back and forth, just like an ant does to like like move venom through it. Mm-hmm. But they're actually moving an egg to like deposit into into you know a beetle grub underneath a bark. Oh, so that's like those ant those insects that like put the, like a it's almost like a parasitic thing where they'll deposit. Yeah. Hmm. Wow, I mm-hmm. forgot about that stuff. That stuff to me, that stuff yeah. is the really super gross slash super fascinating thing. Yeah, that, that yeah. happens, and it's all related. And, and it's just, just what you saw in the ant thing is is a derivation of that. Okay, right? ants those those workers are no longer the the stinger. It was a derivation of an ovipositor. So oh. this the, instead of instead of you know pushing out an egg into to lay into something. They just got rid of the the workers got rid of the egg and they're just pushing out venom to inject and paralyze prey or like defend their nest or whatever. So, so that that's that a cool thing where it's like totally connected to that, you know. So normally they would uh, previously they would be doing the oviposit thing because um, because they would be trying to inject an egg into like a predator or some and, sort of a well, host animal. Into, yeah, into a host, like it could be host. like a plant host or it could be they could be a parasite and they could be. You know, injecting their egg into into something. Have you filmed any um, of that stuff? These, uh, I mean, the famous one that everyone loves is the bot fly. I feel like that's the yeah. one that's like the most, yeah, the most gross. 
<laughs> but yeah, for sure. Is there other examples of it in ants or animals that you studied that you filmed any of those oviposit things at all? No, I mean, I it's not the, the list is huge, and that's definitely one of the things on the list. I mean, right now, like you know, twenty feet from me in the lab, mm-hmm. I have a thing called a bee fly that I'm trying to get a time lapse of emerging. So you know, like big shiny carpenter bees that like you know yeah. in a park bench will like go into a hole and. In the in you know it's like one big like bumblebee looking thing and it's like going into like a deck or something. Those like are that. solitary bees, right? Yeah. Okay. So in there they're like you know they're they they're making cells which they're laying an egg which their larvae are developing into kind of like a miniature hive but like you know there's four right. or five in there. There's a thing called a bee fly which is this parasite fly that's big. It's like a horsefly big. It will it will fly around and then see one of these holes and figure out if it's the right one. Then fly down and then fling an egg into it. The mm-hmm. egg will hatch as a larva and it will go and it will parasitize one of the one of the um, carpenter bee uh, larvae and it will basically like keep it alive but eat it at the same time. And if you if you do a time series of that, like you can see the carpenter bee larvae shrinking as it gets eaten more and more, and then the, the bee fly larva growing growing until it's a huge like ready to emerge as an adult. So right now I've got like one of those ready to emerge as an adult that I'm trying to catch like wow. coming out. Um, but yeah, so like getting it, getting one of the adult flies to throw an egg into, into a carpenter bee hole would be awesome. That would be uh, incredible to film like that. that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And you can find some, a lot of the stuff you can find like, like, you know, shaky cell phone video of, like if you scouring <laughs> YouTube for, yeah. but like, you know, I, I want to get like, you know, the, you know, the $40,000 slow-mo camera and like nicely lit set to, to capture some of that stuff, which would be awesome. You're like the director, the bug director. Yeah, man. I just want to see it. I, I want to see it in a way that it can be appreciated. You know, is there, is there technological advances that since you've started this, that you've actually got to take advantage of in terms of like cameras and stuff like that? Oh yeah, for sure. The camera's always get better and especially for high speed cameras like they're always coming out with new and better stuff um i mean there's like youtubers that have way better uh slow motion cameras than i do because i can't i don't have the research budget for it but they have the youtube budget for i mean some of these cameras are like over you know they're like approaching a quarter million dollars no way like like, yeah yeah it's it's very common for them to be over six figures that's crazy i mean there's entire companies that like I'm sure there's tons of companies out there. Their yeah. entire thing is like renting these cameras or like rent us out for a day, and it's like I mean there's yeah. there's like loads of money in in that. Um, That's so funny. like you know I'm getting like the educational discount, the research mm-hmm. discount for these things. I'm like not buying the top of the line stuff. I mean I'm buying like mid tier stuff um, uh, to film my stuff, and but it's still like you know more. I mean you can buy you can t- buy two used Toyota Corollas, you know, drive those around. Uh, or for maybe one of three these used Kias. Maybe. Or... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As many Hyundai's as you want. You got to combine the two get like a mid grade slow-mo camera and you get the Kia and you put on the, underneath it and maybe you get something, you find these yeah, road totally. bugs that are out there. <laughs> I did try to film that one. I tried to film the one thing that would have been cool is, um, uh, uh, bugs splatting into a windshield in slow motion. Oh, wow. I've tried yeah. to film that once, uh, but it didn't work. I couldn't get it. It's like, like a. I guess it's like lightning be a, strikes. Gotta, totally. Especially if yeah. you got a big one. That'd be really hard. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. Cool. So, is there something where, like, in the dream world, you would have. Do you think it's going to be available 
to you technologically in a couple of years or if you could if you could make anything happen what would be the thing you'd want to do technologically wise for filming uh for filming insects um i mean like the miniature miniaturization of cameras Okay. Is like super interesting. It would be yeah. really awesome for like insect stuff. I mean, you have to like combine um, miniaturization with maybe some high speed capabilities to like see the stuff really well. But it wouldn't even have to be that high speed. But like cameras that you could light and stick into places and get really small would be awesome. Like a fiber um, optic tiny little thing. That would be yeah, or, or like just something that's like not even like tethered to something like that, you know, okay. something that's untethered that you could stick in in a place would just be would be really cool. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I mean, part of me, part of me also is like uh, to a certain. I mean, even though I'm using <laughs> these crazy cameras, part of me right. is also like technologically agnostic. Like I don't care. Like I don't right. care if I'm not doing it right or doing it wrong. For making the video stuff, I just care if I could, like, make it, it looks good, kind of. And a lot of the insect stuff boils down to, um, it's not about the, it's not about the gear. It's about, it's about, um, it, it's about pursuing the weird stuff in the first place, more yeah. than it is about about the gear, right? I mean, I, I totally mean, agree. I, I'll use. I think I think gear stuff yeah. is so dumb. I guess I mean like from you you're someone who uses it as a means to an end not necessarily it's not about using it yeah. it's about does this can this accomplish what i want to see can i see the thing i want to see with this yeah. thing right yeah the whole gear thing i feel like is ugh, it's the worst yeah it's, yeah it's like antithetical to everything i know i get i get a lot of comments and sometimes like uh random instagram dms what like, are you using tell, tell, what are you yeah what what lens is that can you tell me your camera it's like no, it's like, yeah, it's the one that, that worked. Yeah. It's the <laughs> yeah. one that worked. It's the one that uh, it's on the camera. Yeah. yeah. People people are obsessed with that stuff. When It, it took me yeah. a long time to realize that that's what doesn't matter that much. It's about, it's like what you use. Because I do a lot of like a, uh, uh, audio effects and stuff. And people ask like, mm -hmm. what are you using for it? It's like, well, I'm using, mainly using a computer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, really? Like what? It's like, well, it's a different – some of some, some it's a computer that's off the computer and some it's part of the computer itself. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, I'm using an effect. I'm using a a, a vocal effect. It's like, well, yeah. what is it? Which one is it? It's like, well, it's yeah. one that changes the way it sounds. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah. sure, I could tell you exactly what it was, but nothing ever is going to yeah. sound the same. It's always unique to the, the individual and the time. That's the thing that's like exciting for me. Like, it, um, like right now, and I feel like it, we're in a really good situation because, like, you, you could just make stuff. Like, there's no barrier yeah. for making things anymore. Like, I, I don't think I could be the type of scientist I am right now, like 15 years ago, because there's just no, there wasn't a venue to like self-publish like media or, or like the, the equipment to like make media. Like, I remember when I got like, the, like the first, um, you know, before iPhones, when they had these like little iPhone like, like a pocket cameras that like, yeah, it, was like oh, the, the, it was... can film in 1080. Like, oh, this mine was 500 bucks. Like get this Kodak <laughs> ZI8. And it's like, yeah. oh, whoa, this is nuts. And like now you can 4K on your phone. And it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like we're of the right age where we came, we saw like that progress and you saw the ability to like do this more and more. Right. And it's like now, now it's just like, man, I, I'm like, you know, I'm like making TV. Like people make TV 
and then it just gets played on TV. Like I, I, literally, I'm making. I I just finished um, six months of like taking some of my old videos and and reshooting them and rewriting PBS, them right? for PBS. Yeah, and like literally, I'm just I I just send them a file and then they put it on TV and it like, freaking blows my mind. Like no yeah, one touched great. that besides me. I just like what kind of world is this? I I don't know. It's I, <laughs> I haven't I've yet to like. Uh, get over that fact that you can just make stuff and people can see it and like mm -hmm. and, and it's just such a uh, for science for for media for arts it's just such a whole new world i, I guess i guess for that i mean you have for you have uh, i want to hear your perspective like you you're doing stuff for like major broadcast productions and but you know and then you're also in the comedy world where you right. can like do stuff yourself so but like what what are the big differences there i mean i mean obviously there's a million of them but i mean like what's changed over time no 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 like what do you what do you what do you feel about like i don't know traditional media gatekeepers and like making yeah. your own stuff and like you know it's changed so much it's the kind of thing where i think a lot of people are think everyone's thinking about it and also a lot of people don't know what to think about it yet because it's changing so fast there's a lot of uh, big networks that like don't know th things aren't working for them like they used to because uh, the cost benefit coefficient is off. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense to spend a bunch of money on something that doesn't make a ton of money. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I mean, it's definitely easier than ever to do your own thing. Yeah. Uh, so I love but it. But do I you also feel like, like? Do you feel like the money is like unbalanced versus the audience? Like how much money gets put into like traditional big media outlets versus like, you know, I mean, you could, you could make a podcast, you could do a Twitch stream yeah. that would get like, you know, a million, a million eyes on it. And like, right. it, it's like a, a, a micro fraction of the budget went into that versus the budget of like, you know, a big thing that broadcasts that you might get like just 10 times that audience or something like the money yeah, just doesn't I, even. It doesn't even, but it also just depends upon so many factors but a lot of times if those those big companies they have a bigger reach so that's mm -hmm. why they they make more money because more people are seeing it mm -hmm. but obviously if you can do something by yourself and you can have tons and tons of people see it that is the the what's it called the uh the return of investment is incredible mm -hmm. on that but that's also most people who do have a significant amount of viewership who are just doing something by themselves it's because they've been doing it for like 10 years i mean it's like yeah a long time they've been doing it super regularly and also that's all they do yeah i think it's really really difficult for people to do everything because a lot of times i think there's a uh there's a what do you call it? there's a when you look at something the the work behind it you don't you definitely don't see it a lot of right. those youtube people who that's their thing you do not see how much work it takes to make the thing they're making i think that's kind right. of the idea yeah, but yeah. they definitely you can't do you couldn't also be an actor on a TV show and a movie. Like maybe you could, but you'd have yeah. to have a lot of help. And then it's sure. that, it's that thing where it's like, at what point do you have? Uh, at what point are you by yourself? What point? At what point are you independent? At what point are you not independent? And I guess it's just it, mm -hmm. it's, it's everywhere. It's kind of everywhere. And I like doing mm -hmm. both things as much as I can, mm -hmm. but even then, it's it's sometimes you just don't have time to do both things. Yeah. But, yeah. I feel that. I, yeah, I feel that like when I have a, you know, cause I have a job, I mean, I have right. to stay employed as a research scientist. So I can't be like a hundred percent into like making bug videos on YouTube. Um, 
but I can weave that into part of my jobs, but I can't have it take over everything. So like, you know, in 20, like this year, I've only put out one video on YouTube. Okay. I'm about to finish another one. Um, but like, you know, it's, I, I have like three in the can that I just need to like sit down and like edit and write. But um, yeah, it's that, it's that, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, yeah, the, the, the time commitment it takes to like, you know, succeed or whatever, or to mm -hmm. have a huge audience in some of these independent things is, is a little tricky. It's a lot of time. So you have to yeah. do well. So what are you researching right now? What's your main focus? Yeah. So, uh, I'm getting more into like general insect entomology, natural history. So right now we have two, two papers that are, um, about to be sent off to the gauntlet of peer review. Uh, one is on a, uh, a new form of locomotion, a new, a new form of jumping that we found Jeez. in a beetle larva mm -hmm. that lives under the bark of a dead tree and eats fungus. And it, it, what it does is if you take, if you take your hand, put your thumb and your, and your index finger down on the table and like press them apart as far as they go and then like, push them like together. This? Yep. Like, yep. Like okay. spread your, yep. And then, and then bring your thumb and your index finger together and then it kind of snaps up okay. like that that's what this beetle does Damn. it has a little spring-loaded thing that it does with its entire body and its legs but basically jumps like that um so we've we found that basically in a dead tree on campus and luckily we're able to get enough individuals out to make a nice study uh of it before the tree got put in the chipper uh which it did yeah so so yeah it's so it sounds like so I don't know. It's uh, it's so funny to me, like the idea, like you're just doing this this research, this high level research at university, and it's like, oh, if only we can get this done before they start throw this fucking log in the wood chipper. Yeah, like, it seems yeah. Like something about that. It's so funny. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like we were doing. I was also do, we were also doing a, a study on in the same dead on the same dumb dead tree that was infected with fungus. We were also doing the same with some, some fly maggots that that do this jumping thing is not as unique as the beetle thing, yeah. but I didn't get enough of them before they put it in the chipper. You, <laughs> like, can't, you can't put like a stick that says like science log and do not chip. Yeah. <laughs> put like some tape around it. Oh, we should have. I, sh I should have definitely put have. up a make, science log. Yeah, you need some fucking science tape. You know what you should do actually? This is an yeah. old trick I used to do actually in the dorm at Florida State. Okay, I would let's take it. Okay, because you know how there's only like four washers for the entire building? Mm -hmm. I would take a I make a uh, broken sign. Oh. I, when I come back oh. home, I would check in the laundry room. I see if one's open, and I put uh -huh. the broken sign on there. Then I have time because sometimes you'd you'd see one's open. You go up to your dorm room. By the time you yeah. get back down with your laundry, someone's taken it. It's like yeah. I just walked up four flights of stairs so someone could steal this laundry. So I put a broken sticker on it. So yeah. What you guys need? You just need some classic police tape. Just put the police tape. <laughs> I'm sure it's not, it's not printed out a felony. To like misuse police oh, tape. Oh, pr probably not. Yeah, I'll just go it's with that. Just, probably it's not. It's probably just yeah. a misdemeanor. So even yeah. then, what are the chances of getting caught? You just put some police tape up. Yeah. And people are like, oh, what is this? And it's like, and you're in there. And if you put like a lab coat on, they think you're CSI. Yeah. Everybody loves CSI. Sure, I guess. And then Do you they? go in there and they're like, what is he doing? It's like, oh, we can't talk about it right now. It's an ongoing investigation. <laughs> it's actually you checking out these little beetles. <laughs> That's right. Nobody would know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, wait, wait, what are you guys sucking off the tree? Like, what, what is this? It's, it's part a, of a crime? Yeah, it is part of a crime. It's some. It's a crime of uh, not knowing what's going on with these bugs. 
That's right. That's it's a, a that's crime. A national that travesty. Know. That's like a federal offense, man. Come on. <laughs> How dare we yeah. not understand this mechanism this beetle's using to jump? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, so we got this like crummy little beetle project coming out, which is pretty cool. I mean, I like it a lot. Um, one of the one of the cool parts is like I I made a video so before the flies got all, all wood chipped and mm-hmm. and destroyed, uh, I made a, a YouTube video with some of the flies and put like a little preview of the beetles jumping at the end, and like it wasn't that success like you know ten thousand views or whatever. But one of the views was some dude in Japan who happens to be the world expert on this group of beetles. And, like, I didn't even say what the beetles. I just said, we're working on this. It's kind of cool. Stay tuned. Like, subscribe. And then no one subscribed. But um, he saw it, and he's like, oh, I know what that is. I've, that's, I've never seen that. That's pretty cool. Actually, maybe I did see something like that. And so then we started talking, and now he's, like, a co-author on the study because he's seen it once, and he's, Jeez. like, the world expert on it. So it's, like, it's cool. I mean, I just put this stuff out there for – non-science audience but then scientists see it too and it's a way to like you know some random dude had never met in japan who's a world expert on this group of beetles sees it and now he's like authoring this this research study with us um which is you know pretty cool That's so great. i got that beetle thing in and then i i also in jumping into social science and doing a, doing some some work on how people perceive how science is communicated like okay. online and so we're, we're doing like experiments with like science videos and, and people's perceptions of if you watch them, what do you think about scientists? Does it change your mind? Does it, you know, that sort of stuff? Because it's a, a hot topic in science is like how to communicate science better and how to give science a better sort of public face or, or better representation in the world. Podcasts, YouTube. You did yeah, man, for sure. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Thanks for talking to me, Adrian. I really appreciate it. This is so interesting. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, uh, anytime. I'm going to think of like 12 things after we stop that it's like, oh, this thing, this. I guess I do, I do want to know, like, what's your relationship to insect bites? Mm. I mean, I use bug spray for sure. You I mean, do? sometimes even in my yard, yeah. Um, I don't, we don't do much like yard pest control again because I'm like out at night, like attracting them to my house and like filming mm. them and stuff. We don't do that, but definitely use bug spray all for that. I mean, mosquitoes are dangerous. They kill a lot of people every year. Mosquito-borne illness is like a a major thing. Um, And what else? I kill cockroaches when they're in the house. I mean, definitely do that. Um, And I still get grossed out. Like, if a cockroach flies at me, like, that's not not a good night, you know. I remember the first time I saw one of those. I do not like those things because we didn't have them growing up. We did not have them. So yeah. I saw them. I just, I can't stand them. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So there's still like why. a, you know, I still have a gag reflex for some, yeah. some insect stuff. But what so, about getting yeah. bit by fire ants? What do you think about that? Because you got bit in that one video. Yeah, a lot. Um, Shit hurts, right? Yeah, it does hurt. It sucks for sure. I mean, it's not not fun. Um, I know what to expect now. Mm-hmm. So, and I I know I'm generally not allergic to most insect stings, so it's not a big issue. And I, I kind of feel like if you if you know like what's going on, you kind of can handle it more. I mean, not as surprised, not as like. I mean, a lot of the thing is like, am I allergic to this? Like, is this going to be bad? Do I need to like yeah. go? Do I need to go find a CVS, get some Benadryl or something? Um, so like once once that part's like out of the way, it's I don't know. I mean, it's it's like unpleasant. I don't yeah. I don't seek I don't seek out insect stings or bites or anything like that. Not like usually. Coyote Peterson, what's his name? The guy who gets yeah, no, he's a freak, no. man. Yeah, yeah, he's doing it. 
Doing it for the views. <laughs> He's doing it for the views, 100%. Yeah. So people can find you on Ant Labs, right? That's the main thing. Yep. YouTube, yeah, YouTube slash Ant Lab, or like look me up on Twitter, Instagram at Dr. Adrian Smith is is my account there. Yes. I don't really know how to use Instagram. I just post clips. That's all only that matters. Videos, and that's it. So. Cool, man. Well, thanks yeah. again for uh, talking to me. Yeah, and of I course hope, it was I fun. Hope the, uh, maybe I'll I don't know, hope to come out to the museum at some point. Here goes nothing.